Jack, we love it, Jack. We love to help, and that's a fact. So we have made it our mission to find stuff out. From diagnosis and education, slimming out of pure frustration. Chat to folks who've been there too, collect it together and share it with you. If you know someone we should speak to, send them our way and that's what we'll do. We like to have our sensory natters. You know what? Yo. Hi. So this week on the Sensory Matters podcast, we have got Christian Hooker from Hale Autism in Canada. And do you know what that means? Super cool accent. Okay. Right. So, obviously Jamie's a bit distressed today. Massively distressed. The dog's being a bit of a div. A bit of a div? Big div. Right. So, this week also you've got till the end of January to get your three for two on VIC memberships. And then from the 1st of February, we've got half price on Zebula Miller Hearts. You love the Miller Hearts, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, they're cool. So, we're going to listen to this podcast and try and chill out with this lovely Canadian accent. I don't think he's going to kill me out. Well, I'm that far gone. Well, let's see. See you later. Ah, right. Hello. Hi, everyone. It's me here again. And today on Sensory Matters, we've got Christian Hooker from over in yep. Canada. Hi, Christian. How are you? Hello. Yeah. Good, good. And how are you today? Good evening, yeah. I should say, in your end. Yeah. Um, yeah, all good here. Um, have you got snow yet? Because you're in, in the, the middle of Canada, aren't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we got plenty of snow. We got we actually got hit with the snow big time about a week ago. Really? Wow. Yeah. Okay. We actually, well, we were actually getting snow off and on since almost the beginning of October. But uh, within within a day or so, it would melt and, and then come back and melt and come back. But now it's here to stay. Wow. Okay. And that will be you till when with the snow? Uh, well, probably April. Right. Wow. And yeah. do you do you like it? Yeah, it's all right. It's it's good. I mean, uh, I well, I'm more of a summer guy, but I mean, people like snow, and it's all it's all good. Yeah. No, I love it. I love I love the fact that Canada has proper seasons. You know, we we never mm-hmm. know one year to the next whether we're going to get snow, but. Yeah, it's good. Um, anyway, I digress. So Christian is based um, just outside of uh, Winnipeg in Selkirk in Manitoba, and he does um, a thing, which we're going to talk about, um, all over Manitoba. And he has got a Facebook page, which you probably all want to go look up, um, which is Hail Autism. And mm-hmm. the Hail bit stands for Help Autism Live Everywhere. So tell me why you called it that. Well, because we called it Hail Autism because we were trying to think of uh, a catchy name for our for the little group or the little business that me and my parents run, and we were thinking we want to kind of help autism live everywhere and provide services for um, individuals on the autism spectrum uh, across the entire lifespan, not just uh, with uh, childhood. We also um, work with. Um, with like teenagers and young adults and adults on um, employment skills, and when we looked up, um, uh, and when we looked up the word hail, we found that it was uh, to mean of uh, good health and of like, and so we thought it just kind of tied in well because we are tr- we are working to try and create a, a healthy and accepting environment for all individuals on the autism spectrum. Fantastic. So you yourself are on the autism spectrum, is that right? That is correct. 
So tell me your story. How, how did you discover that? Well, it, well, I do a lot of presentations in schools telling this story. And what happened was um, up until about 18 months, I was kind of I was developing at uh, what people would consider the uh, typical uh, standards of uh, child development with the basic communications of like mama and data and pointing and and those and those and those kind of communication skills ones would normally expect. But then around 18 months was when <coughs> excuse me things started to digress and I started to lose a lot of my com uh, communication skills. I started to develop a lot of unusual uh, uh, phobias to things like um, doors and eggs and telephones. And then around two and a half years, my parents went, took me to, um, took me into Winnipeg to get me diagnosed and I got diagnosed with autism then. Okay. So you were, you were quite lucky in that you got your diagnosis quite young. Yes, I was. Okay. And so how did that, did you then, did you, um, managed to stay in mainstream school? Did you have specialist provision? How did the, the rest of your life from there to adulthood pan out? Did you get the support that you needed? I, I think I got the help I needed and support very much so. I actually ended up um, being in mainstream school. Um, there were a couple classes I was in the I was I took uh, privately quite with an EA and just kind of went over this so I could get a better grasp or understanding of the learning materials. But for the most part, I was in uh, regular classes with all the other classmates. Right. And and I actually was able to um, right around junior high um, when my selection of courses were a little more a um, little more optional in choosing the electives. I engaged in classes that really interested me, like music. So I did all the bands and band classes, and I got to engage with other kids who were also interested in music, and that's how I was able to make uh, a lot of good, uh, deep friendships. Very good. So you, your, your entire experience has been positive, would you say? Well, I would. Well, for the most part, I would say it was very positive. I mean, there were some. I mean, there were some little struggles that any the most any typical child would endure in school, but I mean, nothing like really major that yeah. I would say was hindering. That's very refreshing because so many people that I speak to get a late diagnosis and the impact that then has on their own self-esteem and self-worth and so on is, is dramatic because I guess they've not been able to understand themselves from an early age and just felt odd and different rather than, well, that's just because I have autism um, mm -hmm. so yeah it sounds like you've had a, a good positive experience in the main which is great so yeah, what, the... what, what does your autism look like what because obviously everyone's version of autism is completely different that's why it's a spectrum so which bits make you autistic well there is it's kind of interesting to uh, ask to answer that question because um, um Many years ago, I was actually on a local Winnipeg radio station, and they were asking me if I could uh, describe some differences between um, the life of someone with autism and someone without autism, to which I just explained that I couldn't answer because I've never known what life without autism is like. Okay. So I don't really have a basis for what, what my autism would look like compared to others. 
Um, I guess if I had to answer that as best as I could, I would say it is certainly progressive. I mean, we talk, I mean, I'm, I mean, we mentioned earlier that it was a, that I've had a, for the most part a positive experience going through school, but in the earlier years, it wasn't as um, smooth of sailings as, as, um, as it is now, because when I first got diagnosed, one of the things that happened was a regression in my communication. So I actually, so right around 18 months when my communication was regressing, I actually stopped talking altogether until I was almost four years old. Wow. Okay. So I, to, so I was learning to speak all over again Yeah. from there. And a lot, uh, and when I did start talking, a lot of it was echolalia talk from, uh, from just hearing what other people have said and sometimes uh, repeating things um, not in uh, the appropriate context, not in the right context. Like um, uh, one example that my, that is that we commonly talk about is when I was younger and would like a glass of juice. Um, most times, my parents would initiate the conversation with me and ask Christian, "Did you want a glass of juice?" To which I would initially respond, "Yes." But when I start, when I wanted a glass of juice, I would go to my parents and say, "Want a glass of juice?" and they didn't quite, and you know, at first, in, in the first little bit, it was a little perplexing as to why I would ask them about Jews, but they kind of caught, caught on that I was just repeating what they would say to me. Yeah. So that soon, pretty soon, they were actually um, whispering to me um, what my what I should be saying if I wanted juice, like, can I have juice? And then eventually I picked up on that, and that would be like through the earlier years, and then. And then as I went on, like through like preschool, kindergarten, elementary, a lot of um, a lot of learning about um, you know just appropriate conversations and social skills, and then and I would still continue that throughout um, most of my elementary and into junior high, and then just from there I just kind of would observe other people and you know kind of detect what is appropriate social skills, what is inappropriate social skills, and then just um, kind of pick, pick and choose which pieces to adapt. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um. So, so then you obviously went on and you went to um a college and graduated with a mm. degree, so that you then became an educator, a para educator. You yeah, a para educator, like a um that would be like an educator's assistant. Uh, yeah, like a teaching and, assistant. Hmm. And so would, what what inspired you to choose that? Why why did you go down that route? Well, I was what inspired me to do that was the fact that a lot of educator educational assistants and teachers assistants work with uh, uh, students of various special needs, not just autism, but um, other things that might make learning and social skills a challenge for them. Yeah. So I kind of wanted to kind of pay forward all the the good assistance I had growing up. Great. And enjoyed it? Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've enjoyed it. Yeah. I'm, I'm, Excellent. I actually kind of, I actually kind of progressed not just from working with, with some students in education, but I also uh, did some work at uh, the uh, let's see, local community living uh, places there for, um, for adults. Okay. And then um, I, became a respite worker and doing some 
work with uh, like for some kids and some teenagers as well. Great. Um, and you've also got a degree in rhetoric, writing and communications. Yeah. Well, yeah. Rhetoric, writing and communications. That was um, that was when when things were starting to um, when I was kind of moving on, when I was things were taking off in life and I was kind of wanting to uh, kind of go even further with my uh, with a lot of the public speaking and the work I did. I one of the things I realized is that if I wanted to um, become a better communicator, I need to learn uh, better communication skills and, and a better understanding of um, just what it is about that, uh, how society kind of interprets things. And so I went into rhetoric, writing and communications because that, those are the, because basically those classes emphasize on the uh, symbolisms of um, everything in life. And, and I thought I could um, intertwine the learnings from there into the teachings that I do with um, with uh, not only the kids I work with, but even the educators and trying to teach and, and get an understanding of how teachers see things and how students see things and trying to come up with a, a message to see how, make sure that everybody sees the same thing clearly. Yeah, makes sense. And and as a result of all of this, you've got yourself some quite big positions on some of the 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 big autism committees across Canada, haven't you? Yeah, yes, I, I have. I've been, um, well, um, there was a, an organization called Autism Society Canada that um, developed an advisory committee uh, that consisted of adults on the autism spectrum, and I was one of the first uh, members to join that committee, and for many years I was the chair of that committee, and I was actually the first individual on the autism spectrum to join Autism, Autism Society Canada. Right. And um, and uh, since then, I've um, been part of. Um, I was with uh, an organ. I was with a. Um, um, I've developed uh, my own little uh, business with my uh, family called Hale Autism, and we've been. Uh, We've usually and we've been using our organization to kind of help network and communicate with other um, organizations across Manitoba and Canada as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, great. So you're you're already having quite a, a positive influence across Canada on on autism. Um, let's talk now about about your family business, as you call it, um, okay. which my understanding is a lot of it is based around Lego social development and play. Is yes, it, it is. And you that, are a trained Lego-based mm -hmm. therapist. So what, right. what exactly is that? Well, the um, to kind of get an understanding of the whole uh, Lego uh, therapy and, and the work we do, I kind of have to talk about how it all started. Okay. And right when I was, when I was in university, um, I had a parent approach me asking if, if I would be able to work with their young boy on the autism spectrum who was having problems dealing with bullies and making friends. And I agreed to it and I said, sure. And then shortly after word of mouth got around and pretty soon um, other families in the nearby area who had kids on the autism spectrum also had troubles with making friends and dealing with bullies asked if I would work with them. So 
what happened afterwards was that I started developing a social skills programs for, for these kids. And, and pretty soon the idea of an adult on the autism spectrum running a social skills program for other kids on the autism spectrum uh, picked up really quickly. And pretty soon I was running multiple groups in uh, Selkirk to uh, many groups of kids. And then pretty soon um, groups expanded to outside um, Selkirk and even out into Winnipeg. And we even got work up in, in uh, various First Nations communities up north in uh, Peguis and Fisher River and other communities. And, and, that's kinda, and that's how the social skills program started. And after I graduated university, I came to the realization that if we wanted these, business, if we wanted these uh, businesses and services to grow, we'd have to take some adequate uh, training and education. And as can and as time would have it, or luck would have it, I should say, one of the programs that was being uh, offered in Winnipeg uh, shortly after graduation was a uh, Lego-based social development therapy uh, training session. So where educators and people who work with students with or children with autism can go and learn about this new Lego-based social skills <coughs> program. <coughs> And I went to the went to for their uh, went for their training. Did their learned all about the basics of of how to run a Lego group, and I included that in my repertoire of services that we provide. And the Lego groups have actually become, um, I would definitely say, one of our most popular services um, in the to uh, provide. Not only because it has a not only because parents have a notice a positive effect on their kids in their uh, social skills and their play, but <clears throat> also the children enjoy coming to our groups because, in a in a lot of ways, they don't see the um, the social skills aspects and the teaching aspects of it. They see it as a way to to get together with friends for a couple hours a week and play Lego. Okay, so in terms of, is it something, if, if you were going to one of your Lego-based social <coughs> skills groups, is it, do you have like a lesson plan or is it just, you know, people play with Lego and you take the opportunity to be social or is there a particular theme that you attach to each session? We do teach lessons in the social skills, but we do it, um, but we are able to masquerade the lessons in, uh, in Lego play. Okay. Where we try to teach the we're trying to teach the value of teamwork, communication, problem solving, and friendship skills. But we do that um, in a way where it's we get the kids working together in little teams of uh, two or three, developing a Lego project. So to the kids, they see it as getting together with groups working on the Lego projects. But what they're actually doing is they're actually learning about uh, they're learning through communications and in problem solving and teamwork and friendship okay. skills as well. Okay. So is it a case of that you'll think, right, okay, this week we're going to do with Lego, we're going to build the the Eiffel Tower. That's the challenge. Put mm -hmm. you in a, a group of whoever and maybe you've considered who those people are and who would bring someone else on and who might benefit from mm -hmm. being with someone. And then through the process of them building the Eiffel Tower, um, they kind of learn 
what's acceptable, what's not, what works, what doesn't. And I guess you guys are on hand to kind of guide them as well. Is that how it works? Yeah, that's yeah, that's one way of saying how it works. Like we'll um, we'll 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 get the kids split into teams, and then we'll we'll give them a project. So it could be something like uh, could we make it a building, or it could be an airplane, or a truck, or whatever the project is for that day, mm-hmm. and they'll work together, and we'll give the kids a role, <coughs> a task to do. Like okay, we get one person to to read. Uh, to look at the instructions, one person looks after the pieces, one person builds, and so you guys have to kind of communicate with each other on your job. So the person reading the book will say, "Okay, we're going to need, need uh, these two pieces for for this step." So then the person will find the pieces, give them to the builder, and say, "Okay, builder, you need to put these pieces together like this." So they're kind of working together <clears throat> and communicating with each other on the on the various importances on on the various good. Uh, teamwork skills yeah yeah that makes yeah i can i can see how that <coughs> develops that and giving the opportunity to to explore that would work really well and mm-hmm. in a way exactly as you say they always say that you learn best through play um so yeah it yeah, makes a lot of sense and it's certainly uh yeah that is certainly very evident there with uh with the kids um and and it's not just the the basic it's not just those um little it's not just those few skills like through the team play that we're teaching we're also learning about um uh, various things like for example sometimes if we give the kids a project to work with and we have and you know the project is disassembled at first sometimes a piece there's two pieces that might be a little hard to take apart that were hard to take apart beforehand so we try so a lot, a lot of times kids might well not every kid but but some kids might want to use use their teeth to take them apart because it's just easy to just kind of mm-hmm. off them out. However, we try to encourage kids to like not do those kind of things for various reasons. A, it could hurt their teeth. B, it's not sanitary. Mm-hmm. And we just say, you know, not in your mouth or in a, in a, in a polite way, like not in mouth, you know, ask for help or, or something yeah. to that extent. And actually we got a very cute story that I'd like to share. Yeah, um, please do. We actually had, um, well, we have one boy who, or one student who had uh, some some communication challenges. Um, wouldn't say he was nonverbal. I would say he was limited in in some verbal skills at the time. Although that's certainly changed a lot over the years. Anyways, this uh, one student also had a need for um, some kind of out outer sensory thing. Because that student would also do a lot, would do some, um, would kind of do like some humming and and things during uh, groups Mm. to kind of block out all the background noises. And so I kind of, and and the humming and stuff would kind of sometimes distract other students. So what I did was to kind of help um, with that is... I would put on some music that I had on my phone that was appropriate, which um, actually I have quite a bit of a Beatles compilation. So played some Beatles music and and it worked. He wasn't the student was not um, doing the humming noises. He would he would just listen to the Beatles and everything was fine. And then <clears throat> the stu- and the students sometimes also had trouble with um, asking for help when pieces were stuck when they weren't supposed to. So. Naturally, we would try to use the teeth, and we were trying to encourage them to ask for help. 
And then one day, out of the blue, when we were doing free play, he had two pieces that were stuck, couldn't get them together. He came up to me and my mom, who were working the groups, and just started going, help, I need somebody, help, <laughs> anybody, help. So he started reciting a little part of that Beatles song, help. That's brilliant. And we understood right away that that's what, that the pieces were stuck, and we just went from there. <laughs> brilliant. Excellent. So maybe, maybe um, Beatles play as well as Lego play, because there are lots of good messages in their songs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's and it's good, uh, clean, family-friendly music too. It's not like it's certainly a lot better than <clears throat> most music you'll hear these days. Totally, totally. I have this thing on Spotify. I try and play my kids <coughs> a mix of the like top charts, um, and and I can't do it anymore because honestly, nearly every third song's got an E for explicit um, next to it. And you think, God, it's such a shame that they can't stay up to date with what the top music is because of that. But anyway, I digress. Mm -hmm. um, you also do social skills groups without the Lego, don't you? Yeah, we also do a lot of social skills groups without uh, without the Lego. We um, we run a variety of um, sessions for um, for the kids and, and, and even for adults. Um, the adults ones actually just started the uh, just a couple of years ago, uh, about a year or so ago, we, we were able to start doing social skills sessions for adults, but uh, the groups we do for kids, we use a um, program called Model Me Kids, and there's a lot of uh, different great lessons through uh, Model Me Kids that the um, that we were able to use for, for various things, so I got a list right here. There's so many of the there's there's so many of them that we just uh, of yeah. these uh, monthly kids there. I just have to Look make sure, I, yeah, make sure I list them properly. Mm. So we'll do so. There's lessons like confidence and bullying prevention. There's lessons like conversation cues, like all the all the important skills for having a conversation, like how to start a conversation, how to maintain a conversation. How to properly end a conversation and reading facial cues, um, understanding faces and emotions, uh, friendship skills like how to maintain friendships, how to compromise, how to turn take, organization and motivation for like um, just working hard at a at a task and always doing your best. Um, tips and tricks for like would be things for like hygiene and personal space and. In voice modulation, those are those are some of the sessions we do for like the younger kids, and then, oh, and then as we, um, and then over the years, and then a couple of years ago, we started um, advancing into social skills sessions for adults because we realized there are some social skills <coughs> that some adults may need, and <coughs> one of the biggest things that one of the biggest areas that social uh, social skills are needed were in employment. So mm -hmm. the Model Me Kids actually has a, a Model Me program for employment. So we did, so we do that. And we also use uh, a Job Smart program also to kind of help with uh, the lessons we teach. Great. Really good. Because I know, I know that one of the things that you talk about on your page that you do is kind of... Um, 
helping kind of social anxiety and people understanding the kind of unwritten social rules. Um, mm -hmm. So what are the kind of common unwritten social rules that people can fall foul of? Not not just people on the spectrum, anybody. Mm -hmm. um, let's see. Um, I guess blurting and voice modulations, like being able to know the difference. Like when we tell jokes, I mean, there's some jokes that we all have a, a wide range of a sense of humor. And, you know, certain, there's lots of things people find funny. But then there are certain things that we find funny that other people either might not find funny or it might not be the most appropriate time to repeat said humor. Yeah. So those are the kind of um, – so there's – that's one of the unwritten social rules is knowing the difference between appropriate humor and inappropriate humor. Yeah. That's, that's the first example that comes to mind. Um, personal space is uh, certainly uh, a, a, a very um, – complex kind of social skills to learn because there's some people who are fine with kind of being up close and personal and some people who who need their personal space so it's important to know who um what what range of like to know the, the appropriate ranges of personal space with certain people mm -hmm. so how, how would on that example for example if you were going to offer some tips to people listening that maybe struggle with reading personal space or not sure how to do do it what would be your kind of tip for them what would be my tip for understanding personal space yeah. um i would say typically uh with i mean like typically unless it's like uh, someone like um a parent uh, or a, a like a, a direct family member in the house or a close loved one uh, typically the best uh, rule would be kind of anywhere from like a full arm's length to half an arm's length depending on on their comfort level I mean of course there are some sometimes you you can't avoid that like um, going to a grocery store and you're in line and yeah. you're kind of all up close so you can't avoid that but I mean as long as you're not like but I guess the big one would be the sort of in-your-face kind of personal space. That seems to be the um, the biggest thing. So, so I mean, you kind of want to be like when you want to like when you want to look at people's eyes, you want to be able to look at their whole face and everywhere too, not just kind of be so up close. You're only looking at their eyes. Yeah. Yeah, makes sense. Okay. Um, and then the other thing that you offer as well is one-on-one -on -one tutoring as well, don't you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've done some one-on-one uh, -on -one tutoring for um, for um, um, actually my one-on-one -on -one tutoring is more into the uh, social skills, uh, like a lot of social skills um, programs for some of the students or that I work with who who may have a more difficult time than others with um, learning in groups. So sometimes, sometimes we take things one step at a time, and sometimes if that Sometimes that means working one-on-one, -on -one, or sometimes there are certain social skills that they need help with that might not necessarily fit with like the group, so we work with, with them in particular. Yeah. Um, I know there are some, I know I do some social, I, I do some one-on-one -on -one tutoring with some students on um, the JobSmart thing, um, particularly with high school students. Uh, yeah. Like some high school students are on the verge of graduation, so they need to be ready for life after school. So 
Sometimes I do one-on-one tutoring to in the in the employment social skills sessions to help them prepare for life after school. Great. So it sounds like you really do offer a kind of all-encompassing, every step of the way service that meets the young to the adult and the needs of people, whether they're comfortable in a group or one-to-one, and very much tailor it to what people need. Yeah, that's uh, that's basically that's the big thing that we we try to do is like we we try to um, listen to the needs of the indiv- of the groups and the individuals and try and create the lessons that best suit their needs rather than just try to yeah offer our own thing and just kind of make them ad- adapt to w- to what we we want. So like if we hear um, and we we listen to like a lot of the parents and the teachers who's who work with the students that we work with and they'll say things and they might tell us, well, these students, you know, they're doing well here, but they also need some help with, um, with these social skills and in that social skills. And, and then in the next, in the coming days or weeks, when we see them next, we'll tailor our sessions to, um, to meet those needs. Yeah. (laughs) And so could you give me an example without naming any names of your kind of one of your favorite success stories, one that you're most proud of someone that you've really made a difference to? Well, I did share that story of the of the one student who uh, sang the Beatles. That was yeah. probably the um, that's definitely been one of the the highlights. Yeah. Um, man, you know we we actually take it's it's kind of interesting because I mean when we we talk about uh, sharing hi, like you know highlights, I mean a lot of a lot of them is just like just like even if it's not like a direct uh, something that happens in the class, um, a lot of times we'll get parents who will come up to us um, either before the next session or after the session that just ran, and they'll say how much their kid is enjoying their groups and how they've actually been having like sleepovers with the other students, or you know they've had birthday parties and they're coming yeah. over and they're talking about all those kinds of things that weren't happening beforehand and. Those are the kind of great success stories that we choose to celebrate, and and sometimes even and sometimes it, it could be those kind of big things, or even just sort of things like one one student who was very um, who who kept to themselves a lot. One day was um, had their had their Lego out and asked their mom to come come in and and play Lego with with that student and. And it was one of the first times that mom was able to play with, with their child. And so, wow. so those kind of little, so those kind of s- stories are the kind of things we, uh, we work to kind of help yeah. make happen. Yeah. So lots of kind of little milestones and nuggets uh, along the way, mm-hmm. um, just making all round life better, um, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. Um, one thing I was going to ask, um, I don't know whether you'd be able to help with this is, um, my daughter at the moment will not stand up for herself for fear of upsetting everybody. Do you have one of your video or programs or any tips that you can pull out of your the vault that is your brain for how, how to stand up to people without upsetting them? Um, it's well, a hard social skill, even as an it, adult. It, it, I is, find it, it is certainly a hard social skill. I mean, there are there are some lessons on 
how to um, how you can either speak up for yourself or how you can certainly uh, ask for someone to help uh, support you and 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 speak with you on your behalf if if need. Um, there's certainly that. Um, mm -hmm. I think that those are the kind of things we those are the kind of lessons you can learn in, in one of the educational videos. I mean, I guess in a lot, I mean, I guess in a lot of ways, the big thing to, to do when, if, when you're in a, in a situation like that, where you have to speak up for yourself, even if it's going to, depending on who you're and and if the person has an issue to speak up and they're afraid of upsetting, I guess just kind of, I guess just one thing I've kind of learned is like just over the years of speaking up for myself, even even at the risk of upsetting others, is that those who are who, those who get upset but still really care for you will will get over it really quickly, and those who get upset and stay upset are are not worth uh, staying uh, like are not are not worth uh, fretting over. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, okay, so so the work that you do, you hold regular open things. Do people have to book to come and see you? Well, a lot of, um, if we, like some of our work were contracted out in various schools across Manitoba, so we so the students are um, are have it scheduled in with their classes to come to our sessions. But then some of our more, <clears throat> but then some of our other sessions that we run out in the community will 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 make notice of it um about six weeks to a month or so in advance and then families can book uh the room the spaces and we do um usually take yeah we usually will have them booked because um a lot of times we want to make sure that we don't overbook so then the students that do, that do come to our sessions can get the adequate attention that they deserve like yeah. if we just kind of had like open house and everybody came as we wanted, we could we could probably fit like 20 or so kids in a, in a session. But then that's 20 different students with 20 different needs at one time that I can't get to. So yeah, we keep it smaller it? to like usually six or so is usually our max. Yeah. At a time. <clears throat> and then we'll, but then we'll run multiple groups at a time. So like, so it's not like, we're running one session with six kids for for like the whole time and then if you don't get in yeah. it's like it'll be like we'll run one session at one certain time and then like 15 30 minutes later we'll run another session for another group of kids and we'll do a couple of those and we do them across um and we do them in areas across manitoba not in, so it's not just one area because there's also traveling issues to consider yeah although you're central i suppose in canada aren't you yeah we are central pretty much in canada yeah like it, although it's a big place <laughs> yeah it is pretty yeah pretty big um the social skills sessions we run mainly out of manitoba then we run just out of manitoba and then we do <coughs> uh training educations and public speakings um across um all over um, Canada as well too so Brilliant. that's mm -hmm. great so what's what's the kind of dream for Hale Autism Where, where's it going to next 
Um, ultimately, my dream would be to see, um, to actually kind of run uh, training seminars across Canada, recruiting other adults on the autism spectrum to um, participate in these sessions and help give them the building blocks to run their own social skills sessions, whether it be a Lego se uh, social skills sessions or other social skills sessions. So then that way, they too can be a positive uh, uh, role model in their community to um, everyone they work with. And also with the, the social skills programs too, um, I'm not saying that it's like a huge money maker, but it does provide meaningful employment and it does help with them with independent living. So this could be a giant, this could be a big step towards helping some adults on the autism spectrum with independent, with them gain um, a better sense of independent living if they were to have a meaningful career in social skills. Yeah. Running social skills. Yeah, getting great skills and, and adding stuff to the CV that could be used in the future for other jobs. And yeah, brilliant. Well, I hope I hope I hope you achieve it. Um, Thank you know, you. You've done great things already. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, I, I love what you do and I love how much it, it helps not just at one group, one age group. It's right across the range, which is fantastic, right from young children up to people looking for jobs and adults. So brilliant. You should be very proud of yourself. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. thank you very much. Great. Anything you want to add as a final final message to the world um i guess just um well i guess just the same thing i same message i usually end all my presentations with just about in that greatness is not measured by one's academic credentials or abilities and one's or one greatness is not measured by one's abilities or disabilities but really greatness is really measured by the determination of the human spirit nice that is true Thank you very much, Christian. It's been really good. Well, thank you. Thank you. Unfortunately, that stressed Jamie out way too much. You might even be able to hear her out there. Her dad's trying to calm her down talking about gaming. So hopefully that's going to work. Um, yeah, so that was Christian Hooker from Hale Autism. And we'll link you the Facebook page. But um, that story about the little boy and the Beatles, that was just awesome. Because I love the Beatles and... It was just so heartwarming. I think that's probably one of the best stories I've ever heard. Hope you enjoyed that podcast and we'll see you again next week. Don't forget, three for two on the VIC memberships. And from the 1st of February, you can get the Zebula Miller Heart for half price for Valentine's. And why not just buy it for yourself? Bye. You know what?